Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Planful. My name is Rowan Tonkin, your host and CMO here at Planful. Uh, today, I'm joined by Michael Zambetti. Uh, he is a finance manager of uh, data analytics as well uh, in his role at National DCP. So firstly, Michael, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, secondly, how do you also end up with a finance and data analytics title? Thank you very much for having me here, Rowan. Really excited to be able to introduce you to kind of how I've gotten into this kind of bizarre role, you might say. So I obviously started out in finance. I've been with NDCP now for about five years. So just kind of giving you a little bit of background. NDCP, we do all the supply chain management for Dunkin' Donuts. So I started out in the operation space and doing all the analysis and trying to improve our productivity, do variance analysis, forecasting and budgeting. And that was obviously my bread and butter, and I continued to progress in that route and started coming up with different strategies to automate our processes and dive into different areas that had never been seen before. And as I continued to progress down that route, I had an opportunity presented by my management to kind of break away from finance and just dive head on into the analytics realm. So start learning Python and these different coding languages to further open up the realm as far as what I could automate. So I wasn't bound to finance. I actually wasn't in finance at all during that short, that short stint. I had the flexibility to automate processes throughout the entire organization. So I had a lot of white space and a lot of opportunity to use my creativity to just improve the organization without any type of buying to finance. And eventually I was able to combine that with more of like a corporate finance manager uh, responsibilities as well. So right. now, and so now with that, that component, I was able to kind of combine the analytics piece and doing all the process automation and looking at these massive sets of data and then put like a financial outcome to it. And so I feel like the, the combination of those two are very, very powerful if you can use them together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, our listeners will probably uh, agree with me here when you know, one of the top challenges when I'm speaking to folks uh, in FPNA is getting clean and accurate data and timely data uh, inside of uh, whatever forecast or whatever they're building up, right? And, uh, you know, various models, it's like uh, data access is always the, the biggest challenge. And so having that sit within finance in, in some ways must give you a real uh, advantage uh, than maybe some of your other peers have. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think an, another point to that as well is that at, in finance, some of the hardest part is identifying where that data is. So if you're already very in tune with where that data is coming from, never mind the whole automation piece with analytics, but if you are aware of where that data is coming from and you're aware of what is available to you and what is not available to you, you can unlock a whole new realm of financial analysis, which may have never been touched by your organization before. Yeah, and one of the, the words you used before was white space. So tell me a little bit more about what you mean. I mean, most, most of us know white space analysis is where are my opportunities in my you know, customer base? Where are my opportunities in my prospect base? Sounds like you, you have a different frame of reference for that. A little bit, a little bit. So I find my terminology for white space to be the most fun and exhilarating part of finance. So 
as everyone knows within finance, we have our typical cadence reporting. So it's just a part of the job in which we have to do reporting to demonstrate the financials and the overall health of the company in certain aspects. The white space is where it gets really fun. So that's where you go and you, you, you have extra time to exhibit your creativity and go and find different strategies and exploit those. And you're able to go and find opportunities for the company to ultimately drive that value add to the bottom line. Do you have any specific examples that you can share? I mean, we're, we're on a podcast here. So, um, you know, any examples that you can share of, of where you found those white spaces and, and what that represented a, to the company or what value that may have represented to a, a business stakeholder? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I did, I did one analysis, which it was actually coupled with my operations experience in, in that background. And so what I did was I was able to identify by pulling in all these different sets of data, I was able to identify that we were spending a lot of money to these third parties and it, to these third parties logistics firms, because the, obviously we know supply chain is, is kind of chaotic right now. And so we had to use them more than we otherwise might have. And so what I was able to do is I was able to combine that data and identify how much cost we were spending on this third party with how we could possibly do it ourselves and, and how much money that would be able to save. And so for instance, what we would do as opposed to spending the money to them to be able to bring that product in-house, we would deliver product from one distribution center to the other distribution center and then we would save money. We would generate income by delivering product for maybe like whether it's other companies or back to our own company and picking up that product from the vendor ourselves. So, right. so by having that extra time to be able to look at that, that wasn't any task that was provided, for instance, but being able to have that data available to us and really see full picture and not be tied down with just month end close, it enabled me to really start digging into the business and find this stuff. And so the overall outcome of that is, you know, it, it was an outcome which presented hundreds of thousands of dollars of potential savings per year. And it actually opened up management's eyes, not only to that example specifically, but honestly, at even a larger scale, because now that that was unveiled, we were able to take that in, in another direction and think, how can we do this, not in this one transfer situation that's on our East Coast, but how can we do it across the entire network? Yeah. And, and so, you know, given some of what you've said today, it sounds like you you have the bandwidth uh, to go and explore these white space uh, opportunities. Oh, and yeah. uh, when, I, when I speak to a lot of people, there's some people in your camp, but there's a lot of people in the, oh my God, if I could, if, if I only had eight hours, imagine what I could do with it. So how have you ended up in this position where you've got that time to do that real value add that, uh, a lot of finance leaders actually really want to get to, but they're still stuck in that, um, you know, that monthly, quarterly, yearly cadence type work. Yeah. So I would say it all originates from that original capability to automate your processes and provide that time savings. So we have continuously done that for the past decade. We, we've done tons and tons and tons of automation, but by doing that automation, we're not necessarily cutting heads. What we're doing is we're reallocating those resources. So previously, we may have been very, uh, a lot of our resources may have been tied up in more transactional kind of stuff. Whereas now we may have a lot of those time savings. So we don't need as much of the transactional stuff, but we still have the same headcount. So what we're doing now is we have that extra bandwidth 
because it takes our typical month-end close, like our month-end close process, for instance, is only a, about three to four days. So it's, it's a very wow. short time frame. So we have, now that we've automated that process and it started out, actually it used to be like 20 days, I wanna say about seven years ago. And then it was about six days when I, or six or seven days when I first started five years ago. So what we keep doing is we keep shortening these processes, which have these, which is just, it provides, like I said before, you know, it, it provides very important outcome, but it's not that value add. So we keep shrinking those times by automating processes. So then we have more time and flexibility with our staff to really dive out into the rest of the space. So our goal is our, in my group specifically, is to really spend less than 50% of our time doing those cadence reporting. And so have the other 50% of our time to really be able to dive into your own analysis. And I think that also brings up another point as far as it really drives you to be creative and to use your own mindset. And for me personally, having the opportunity to exhibit my creativity, it kind of gets something out that I need to need to get out there. And if I just <laughs> yeah. keep it in, I'll, I, I'd explode. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Yeah, that, well, and and I think that's, you know, we, we hear a lot about the great resignation coming up and, and you know, it happening right now. And I think um, where we see a lot of that happening is where people aren't able to exhibit their, you know, their value add to a business. And they're like, well, I'm going to go find somewhere where I can do that. So um, mm -hmm. sounds like National DCP have got you locked in because uh, you're able to do the things that you want to do uh, right now. And the other point I'd like to make for our listeners is, you know, uh, what Michael just said there was, was, I think, you know, seven or eight years ago, it was taking 20 days to, to do their month-end close. You know, five years ago, it was six or seven, and now they've got it down to three or four. This is not a journey that you can, you know, uh, there's not, sometimes there is a magic bullet and you can do things really, really quickly. But just getting on that journey of that continuous improvement journey is also really, really important because, you know, over time, that consistency of just uh, trying to fix this little part of the process or that little next part of the process ultimately results in, in, in where, um, you know, Michael is right now in, in his role, where they actually have that time back. Um, and, you know, it's by doing it marginally over time, you can still keep delivering the value you need month over month over month and quarter over quarter, I think is also important. I'm not sure if that was a set strategy um, by your CFO. Was that something that was very intentional? Uh, it, it was, it was. So that's, that's definitely was the intent a while ago is to be able to reallocate those resources. And so that's another thing which I've been a huge fan of at our company specifically is the investment that we put in technology. So we can, we continue to spend money, whether it's in uh, EPM, whether it's in our ERP software. So we used to not even have an ERP system back when we were doing the 20 days. And so that right. was a huge, that, that was a huge benefit is getting out of Excel and being able to go into that and, and, you know, getting into like RPA softwares and all this, all this other kind of stuff. It really, I'd say that that support from upper level management really enables us to do that as well. That's great. And, yeah. And what does that mean for your, you know, your business partners, whether that be uh, on the, on the, you know, the operations side, you know, how do they feel the relationship is between them and, and you, you in the finance team? You know, I think that's an interesting point you bring up and it's because that, that was something which was kind of uh, very distant in the past. 
is, you know, our, our operations leadership was really leading their own distribution centers and they were really engulfed in their own operations and running that solely. And finance was very separate in their fashion. Accounting was very separate in their fashion. So by by breaking down these barriers and improving this automation and investing in these different technological uh, companies, for instance, and then automating processes and getting everyone's buy-in, we were ultimately able to really bring the operations leadership into our process. And so it gives them a lot more comfort in their finances as well when they're able to actually provide their input and be able to have their hand in the pie, if you will. Yeah, and, and it, it probably gives you a lot of insight too now that you, um, you know, you probably have a shared language now where you understand they, their business and they understand your business. And so it's not just a one-sided relationship where you're adding value to them. I'm sure they're adding value to you and your processes. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, with the whole virtual world that we're in right now, where basically everyone's remote, I think it's that much more important to be able to ensure that collaboration through technology and ensure everybody's all on the same page, because it would be very, very easy in today's day and age to become disconnected with your financial support team, for instance, or your operations leadership on the other side of the spectrum. So let's come back a little bit to some of the data analytics work that you do. Can you tell me about the, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would want to understand, well, what is that environment look like? What type of data is in there? Like what's its frequency? Is there anything you can share from that front that would help our, our listeners understand like, you know, how hard, how complex, uh, what this environment might look like? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's, we, we've honestly, it's, it's a little bit new for us even at this point. So it's probably, I would say under a year, maybe a little more, it's, it's about a year and a half as far as when we've really started diving into this space. And so it entails being able to dive into all the different data within our data warehouse, querying that information and, and ultimately just pulling in all of our different data from different sources, whether that be through a language like SQL, for instance, in which we're able to go and tap into that backend data, or we use Python, for instance, a lot as well. And mm -hmm. we're actually getting into different machine learning algorithms as well. And so that machine learning is a very, very powerful tool, which I think is that, I don't know if that completely answered your question, but that machine learning, I think is a very, very valuable tool because it it's, it enables us to really identify opportunities that we didn't know existed before. And especially in today's day and age where data is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and there is that many more opportunities that come to us. So for instance, I, I even read in a book recently where they have data out there by satellites where you're able to identify foot traffic going in and out of stores. I mean, that's just one of many examples, but because there is so much data out there, we don't even know what's out there. So it's, it becomes that much more important to be able to use some type of coding language or something that is able to do some of that analysis for us because we're, we're only capable of doing so much ourselves. We can't look at millions and millions of lines of data, but the computer can do that for us. And so that's why it's yeah. that much more important for us to be able to tap into that. Absolutely. And, and, and so one question I have for you is, um, obviously you started on this journey, like very much from a finance perspective. How do I get more data? How do I, you know, how do I 
understand this data to help provide my finance expertise to uh, other departments or specific opportunities that you may find in the business. So what skills did, did either you personally or the team have to learn along the way or what skills did you have to go and bring in that you didn't otherwise have at that point in time? I know you mentioned Python, right? It's not not often I speak to finance leaders that, that know how to um, uh, code in Python and I'm not sure if you can, but um, you know that that is certainly something that you don't hear all the time. And so really interested in, you know, how did you go and acquire those skills, whether it's learning them or bringing them in-house through contractors or, or employees? Yeah, yeah. So, so absolutely. So, well, one thing you did hit on something before, and it was kind of talking about how do we get into that data analytics space in the first place? And I think it comes down to being very, still retain that entrepreneurial spirit and then also being very, very inquisitive. So always asking why, 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 why? because you end up getting down to these rabbit holes where the, the, the bottleneck is ultimately, well, we don't have that data. So then it comes to how can we get that data? And then that's what kind of leads you ultimately to the Python, the analytics route. And so when we first started, so it was just myself. So I had no background in analytics. I was solely finance and my company entrusted me to go and learn this new language they, they gave me the resources. So for instance, they gave me a book. They gave me, I, I went on a, a teaching site, Udemy, and I yeah. just started researching all myself because they, they entrusted me to go and automate processes in the past. They said, go ahead and learn that. So I think one, that's how, that's how we started out. Then what I did is we brought on someone who was, had that combination and that was very, very technical and could write macros, for instance, in Excel, but never really got into Python. But we provided him the bandwidth kind of back to the original story as far as if you had the additional bandwidth you're not only able to develop the company but you're able to develop yourself and so we provided mm -hmm. him that bandwidth to go and learn python and we we gave him the task because now as a manager since i knew what python could do i knew the capabilities of it i could help guide him in the direction with different projects that i know we had struggled with in the past that i knew that that coding language could accomplish for us so i kind of guide him with different projects I, I could apply the financial outcome from some of the projects that he would do after he would unveil these incredible insights. And ultimately, it kind of sculpted him to where he all of a sudden obtained this phenomenal skill set. And he actually just left recently to go to a consulting firm, which is awesome for him. You know, he really felt like that was more of his path to, to become successful. He wanted to go in the consulting route. But with that being said, it kind of opened up another route for us. So we actually are hiring, we just hired a senior data analyst role, actually. So now we have someone who is specialized in doing those regression analyses, specialized in doing the machine learning and has done that before. So I'd say there's probably two parts of that question. Yeah, we can, we can one, develop it inside within our own company by providing that person the, the ability to grow. But then also we can outsource and just really dive heavy into someone who already has that skill set. There's really two different avenues that you can do there. And, and, and so I'm really curious, how, um, how much have you had to rely on your IT counterparts to, you know, things that, that often scare us? And, and, you know, I'll say this uh, as the marketer and salesperson in the room, too, is getting access to the data. I don't want to break anything. Um, you know, I don't know if I have the permissions, all of that sort of stuff. Like how, how much have you had to rely on your IT uh, counterparts to 
really help you unlock all the value inside of that data on top of then also learning all the new skills? It's re relying on the IT group. It's, it's important in the first stages, I would say more than anything, because it is important to be able to obtain the access to get into those different databases. Uh, mm -hmm. We might even have need to have some type of duplicate environment which we're, which we're not able to directly impact some of the stuff that they have set up. But either way, that yeah. is a very important aspect. And also, for instance, SAP, we have to get special API permissions from them and users set up. So that is a very vital part to be able to have an IT group that, that can support you in starting out that journey. But once it is set up and you have those initial connections established, it's really down to the individual to really research stuff as far as how to, to increase that automation, increase that the capacities of that code, I would say. So it's more important in the first stages than it is an ongoing collaboration. Yeah, and, and then as you start to see, you talked about um, you know satellite imaging and uh, pulling foot, foot flow traffic and things like that. That's a, yeah. that's a life, life that I was involved in at my last company. Oh, really? When you, yeah, when you think about that kind of external data sources, third-party data, how much of that are you bringing in into some of your financial analysis and uh, to, to determine things like, well, how much product do we need in certain stores at certain points in time, right? Um, and, and I'm sure you get a lot of that from Duncan probably themselves, right? I'm not sure how much data they're sharing with you, but in order to service them properly, you probably need to be uh, very close in lockstep with them and then also relying on not just them, but other sources of data. How much is, is that playing a part in your, in your kind of world? So I'd say that that's, that's kind of a purpose behind us getting into this route as well. So yes, we definitely yeah. do get information from Duncan as far as what they're seeing, but it, it, it might be a little higher level than what we actually really want. And especially yeah. in today's day and age where, where the, the economy is rapidly changing, supply chain is changing all the time. We have different shipping containers held up at ports. We're not able to get certain product in. We have huge changes in seasonality throughout the year, which is very abnormal, especially with all these mm -hmm. different COVID outbreaks. So it becomes that much more vital to be able to gain these insights into our data so that we can adequately plan for these changes in seasonality or we can get ahead of it and ensure our days on hand stays stays stable so that we are yeah. able to adequately plan for these massive fluctuations and we're able to to maybe have some type of leading indicators before we get hit by something so that's kind of like why it's it's so much more important in today's rapidly changing economy to be able to identify those ahead of time so really the answer to your question is we don't do as much as we really like to but we're just now starting getting starting to get into that and starting to be able to rope those third-party analyses and and statistics and data into our analyses and do regressions on that and be able to identify what correlates to our demand for our customers. That's what that's what actually where I was going to go next. Like, what is next? Like, what is the the vision in the next twelve to twelve months, two years, in order to get to that place? You know, I'm I'm not sure any company will be in the nirvana state that they actually want ever because, um, you know, everything changes all the time and it's, you know, faster than ever before to your point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you guys seem like you're uh, in a uh, more advanced situation than many, many companies out there. And so 
love to hear what is next. What's the vision for something like, you know, bring that senior data analyst on to do a lot of that data science work. Seems like there's an end goal there, or at least a vision state that you're moving forward towards. Yeah. So I'd say one, one goal is, especially as far as that individual goes. And as far as that aspect of our business is that's, that's, that's the way that finance is going. And like we talked about before, we have so much data and being able to combine that analytics function with finance is going to be able to provide absolute phenomenal insight into so many parts of our business that we may have never even seen before. So it's going to come down, and we, we've already started down that path where we are able to show absolute phenomenal savings and value add from that individual and from that, that function altogether. And so Ultimately, what we plan on doing is after we're able to continue to demonstrate time and time again, all these phenomenal annual savings that we're able to drive based off one single individual, that single individual is going to become absolutely overwhelmed with work and they're going to be drinking through a fire hose as far as different projects we throw their way. They're not going to be able to survive. So ultimately what's going to happen is we're going to probably have to hire on additional individuals that, that roll up into possibly an analytics team on its own. In which, mm-hmm. in which we're able to just gather so much data, automate so many different processes and drive so much value throughout the organization. But it really comes down to first, being able to demonstrate that value add. I'd yeah, say that's the ultimate goal with that one. And, and then, uh, you know, to your point earlier, you wouldn't even be in this position if you hadn't done all that automation, right? You'd still be stuck in the, uh, in the old ways where you'd still be closing the books, you know, day, day 13, day 14. And, and by making those investments now, you're getting to the point where you're reaping all of those rewards. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say, I mean, just in five years doesn't seem like that long of a time, but it has changed so rapidly in that five years that it's, it's nowhere close to the same type of analysis that we provided previously. It's, it's, it's been an exponential change. And so, like you said, it took a lot of legwork to begin with to get to that point. But now the the machine is oiled well, gears are functioning well, and we're rolling and just now starting to see the fruit of all that grind that we put in up front. So it's it's very rewarding to be able to see that as well. So let, let's talk about some of that grind a little bit. I, I think that's an interesting angle here is um, when you when you think about um, that initial jump into, I've, you know, I've identified there's, I've done all that hard work, that finance transformation. Now I have some time back and I, I'm in my white space opportunity. Um, talk to me about that learning curve of going from probably being a very spreadsheet, you know, model understanding, good understanding of data in, in the world of spreadsheets to then, yeah. you know, Python, right? Like, what can you um, tell our listeners about um, that jump, that hurdle, what you found surprising, what you found easy or what you found really hard? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, that was pretty scary to begin with. <laughs> I, I had I had no experience with it as well. Never did anything similar to it. I mean, macros, the extent of my knowledge there was I would press the record button and go press a couple buttons so that I could continue to do that in the future. So it, it was it was like jumping down a black hole, which yeah. I just kind of took it with open arms and said, all right, here we go. I guess we're, we're doing this one. So, and, and, you know, looking at all those courses and everything, 
it was it, it was completely learning a new language. But honestly, when you start digging into it, and if you do have that desire to learn, you have that desire to grow, you have that desire to drive that value in the organization, that entrepreneurial spirit, it's it's honestly very rewarding. Because at least for me, you know, in, in many aspects, if you continue to do a certain role within finance, you kind of hit an end of a learning curve at a certain point with certain aspects. And so it's it's very pleasurable to have additional things thrown at you, which might even be completely out of left field like coding. And so, yes. yeah. And, and so I started I started looking at it and I started learning the syntax. And it's honestly not as difficult to learn as some people might think. So I think the most important aspect to that is just not not worrying about that massive hurdle, not worrying about that scary introduction into a whole learning a whole brand new language. It's just getting into it and just trying to learn it the best you can because it, it really isn't that difficult. It's as simple as like setting variables and it might be while as opposed to say an if statement in Excel, it might be a for statement in Python. So it's there, there's a lot of crossover in these different softwares, which people aren't really even typically aware of, but it, it becomes very prevalent very quickly. And then it really opens your eyes to what is really capable of even being automated that you may have never even known before. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, um, I have the pleasure of having a, a Bachelor of Internet Science and Technology. So that's what oh, I wow. actually stud, I studied at school. But uh, I failed coding uh, multiple times. That was uh, the one subject that I, I, I was never really good at. Um, and, and it's interesting, like we're at this place now where, you know, I, I talk with my, my CEO, Grant, uh, a lot. And one of the things that we talk about is finance uh, teams feel like uh, we're marketing and, and sales ops teams were about 10 to 15 years ago. Right there, the investment in technology is really burgeoning, um, and we're getting a lot of uh, finance folks with skill sets either coming in that they've already got the skill sets um, that you were talking about, like these data analyst folks that are coming in, they already have these skill sets, or they're going out and learning them like yourself. And I, that, that's what happened to marketing and sales ops people 10 to 15 years ago is. We had to go and learn all of this because uh, we had to, right? It was a, you know, it was forced upon us with all of this data and all of this market insight, and uh, and then we became really, really good at it, right? Like, um, you know, I was speaking to my team yesterday, and I was like, "Is anyone scared of adopting a new technology?" And and no one put up their hand because our ops team can just, you know integrate with anything, they can implement technology like that. And I, I don't think finance is at that point yet, but we're at that inflection point where it's really starting to happen for a lot of organizations. And, uh, and, and they're starting to overcome that fear that you talked about of, oh, I was staring at this black hole of a complete new language and, and you know, I just embraced it. I think that's happening more and more in the marketplace right now with inside finance teams. And um, that's only going to increase and increase. And so, you know, my guidance to, to the listeners is if you're at that inflection point like Michael was, definitely jump in, embrace it because that advantages not only to the company, but for you personally, are going to keep paying off over time, right? I, I you know, I can't stress that enough that, those folks that went and became technology forward 
you know, um, marketing leaders and sales leaders, they're the ones running marketing and sales teams right now uh, because they understand the ins and outs. And I think that's where we'll see future CFOs come from is, is those CFOs that have that true understanding of, of the business from a very data-driven perspective. So Michael, uh, any final thoughts from yourself uh, for those people that might be at that inflection point uh, and you know they're about to make that jump uh, like you did, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, is there any books that you read that really opened your eyes? Any podcasts you listened to? Uh, love to share your insight from that journey with, with the listeners. Um, I, shoot, there was, there was a number of different books. I don't remember off the top of my head right now, but I would say that the biggest piece of advice I can offer would be, uh, as, as far as the coding, you're not going to get that immediate reward in the first month or the first two months or the first, I would doubt even six months. It's, it's going to be a, a, a process that you have to have patience with. So you might need to spend the time understanding where your data is coming from, understanding what's available to you before you can really start seeing the fruits of that automation and of being able to utilize that data that you never had access to before. So it's, it's definitely more of a long-term play, but like you mentioned as well, I mean, the, the, the organizations having the most success in the world right now are, peop, are companies that put in that time and put in that investment into that, that analytics realm a while ago. So now they are so far ahead of the curve, they have just blown past competitors. So it's more of a long-term play that you have to be patient with and honestly have that excitement to look forward to at your company more than anything and know that that will help set you apart and segregate you from your competitors. Just uh, you know, touching on that, when you, when you started kind of going down those, uh, you know, learning Python and, you know, trying, did you come across, uh, like, was it, like a maze where you were just kind of going down one part of the maze and then you'd end up at a dead end and you'd be like, oh man, I have to go back and restart. Or was it more just like that you felt you were kind of climbing a mountain and you'd find a hurdle and you're like, oh, that's really hard, but I got to go over it. Or did you find there was a lot of backtracking? Like what, what was the experience for you like? Uh, I wouldn't say as much backtracking. That's kind of like the pleasurable mm -hmm. part of wind coding is it's all iterative and it's all moving forward. Because yeah. they'll stop you dead in your tracks and say there's an error that you can't go forward. It, uh, <laughs> it, you, you more hit blockades and then yeah. you might just become a Googling wizard. And, and that's another great thing with coding is with it, it's a lot of it's open source. A lot of it's free for individuals to install. And then you're, there's people have done it for so long now at this point and have put all of their different code out there. So a lot of that is available for people if you do the proper research you could reuse other people's code that have done the exact same thing as you. So sometimes it's as simple as being a good Googler, really, and being <laughs> able to overcome those obstacles by just identifying people who already did it well before you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. I'm, I'm really glad we had you on. And uh, for those interested, uh, feel free to connect with Michael on LinkedIn uh, if you want to chat more. And if you do have any of those book recommendations, send them through and I'll try and put them uh, in the episode links uh, to, to this podcast. Um, but Michael, uh, thanks again for coming on. And, uh, and everyone, thanks for listening to Being Clapped. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify 
or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.